0: This is Pastor Scott. Thank you so much for checking out my sermon podcast from the New Hope Walpwallopan, Faith, Stairville, and Slocum United Methodist Churches. We'd love to have you join us some Sunday for worship. To find out more about our locations and worship times, find us on Facebook at New Hope Walpwallopan. We hope to see you soon. Well, I know I've talked about this before, but can you remember a time in your life when you were excited and excited to share something with someone. So excited to share news with someone. A lot of times, you know, when you're having a new baby, everybody's excited or when you're engaged, things like that. I remember being a kid, remember when you were a child and you'd get a new toy at Christmas? And I, I've talked to before about my school, would do show and tell? Because um, you, you would get to bring the new toy and I, I have an animal puppet. I still need to find that, it's in storage somewhere. Um, that got me in a lot of trouble because I would take it and I would bite people with it. Um, it was but, uh, but remember how excited you were because you could, you could talk about the things that you had, but it's something different to tell them about it, to let them see it and to share it and to touch it and feel it. But see, this, day, this is what people do on social media, a little too much. We'll share new jobs, we'll share cars, homes, vacations, kids, grandkids, what we're having for dinner, <laughs> and just lots of things like that. But, but that's what social media is because it's sharing with the world The excitement over something new, something we've experienced, something that we are excited about. Today's passage from 1 John was was most likely written by John the Apostle, who we've talked about a lot in the last few weeks because he wrote uh, the book of John and we talked a lot about it um, with our study that we did during Lent. And just last week we talked about how John had written in his own gospel that he outran Peter to the empty tomb. Which I still think is hilarious that he includes that in the passage. I think that's the funniest thing. It's probably the funniest thing I up from the Bible. But he, he concluded that. But we also saw that John was very honest with what he wrote. Because last week he said that he stepped into the tomb and he believed. So John was honest that there was doubts until he actually saw the grave close. So I, I, and, and we've also learned with John that John included some details because of how he was writing because John wrote later than the others. He wrote uh, a decade or, or even longer after the first. So John uh, wrote his his a little bit longer, late, I mean a little bit after. And by that time, you know, imagine the difference that ten years makes, how things have changed. And so John writes this in verses one through four: that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. See how John begins this. See John at this time was, was addressing the false teachings of the day. We talked about this last week, and uh, well, actually we talked about when we talked about I thirst from our study, that there was a a, theory, a belief system called Docetism, who believed that Jesus was only a spirit in his entire time on Earth, so that everything he experienced, he really didn't experience. He experienced it as a spirit, and he was never really human. And so, this is why when he said, I thirst, John included that because John's like, well, wait a second. A spirit's not going to thirst. And that's why John writes this in the beginning of this passage. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. John's writing this firsthand experience. He's telling him, I was there. You know, I touched him. I, I saw him. I heard him. Jesus was real. He was physical. He wasn't just a spirit. He was human and he was divine. And it's interesting to note, though, that John in this passage then goes on and invites these people who still believe, but believe differently, to still come into fellowship with him and the others, even though they believe a little bit differently than he does. Which I think is interesting. He's like, well, come in and fellowship with us. It's not like, well, you guys stay away and you're heretics, all that. He's like, come and fellowship with us, which I think is kind of a neat thing that John added in there. But so we fast forward to the day, and we live in a world that largely doesn't believe. I mean, the percentages continue to drop with how many people believe in Jesus. I mean, we see people turning away from the church and Christianity. We, we might talk to somebody, and they might say, well, I think Jesus lived. He was a nice guy. He did some good stuff. But that's the extent of their belief. Now, unlike John, we don't have that in person where we can't say, I touched him. We don't have that experience. But we do have that firsthand experience where we can say that we have a relationship with him, and he has touched us. See the difference there. And we can tell others about the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. But for this to happen, we can't just dabble. And a lot of Christians today just dabble with Christianity. They might throw a prayer when they're in need. They might show up for church once in a while. I want you to look at the numbers board and then look around you this morning at the difference <laughs> one week makes in the attendance and worship because Easter to the other hol- or to the other days of the, of the year. See, we can't dabble in Christianity. We, we need to just go at it. We can't have this, this secondhand faith. We have to have that full relationship with him. Think about it this way. It's almost like Jesus is the ocean, and some people are content to stand over here in a mud puddle and jump up and down. That's the difference. And it makes me wonder what would happen as, as Christians, and even if some of us here were to say, you know what? I'm tired of jumping in this mud puddle. I want to dive in. I'm head first, over, overwhelmed, let the waves wash over me. What would happen if we as Christians didn't settle for this, this, this sort of mediocre faith? But what happened, would happen if we dove head first in? But see, the thing is, we can't share a first-hand experience of a relationship with Jesus if all we have is a second-hand faith. We can't rely on the stories of others. We have to experience it ourselves. It needs to be a real relationship, not just this passing acquaintance. There's a theory, and I don't know if any of you, I guess there's, there's actually a commercial that Verizon has out now. There's a commercial, uh, or there's, there's a, a thing called the seven degrees of separation. Have you ever heard of this? Which basically this theory says that you are seven people away from knowing everybody on the planet Earth. And to illustrate this point, there's a thing called The Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon. And I guess there's a commercial that actually addresses this. Anybody know, you know who Kevin Bacon is from Footloose. I won't dance, but Footloose yeah. and a lot of other movies. And what it is is you should be able to go online, and what it, they have this theory that says that everybody in Hollywood is seven people away from knowing Kevin Bacon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you go, you should be able to go online to Google, and you can enter in somebody's name, like Daniel Ratcliffe from uh, Harry Potter. You would write Daniel Ratcliffe... Bacon number, and it would pop up a number of what his bacon number is, and that's how many people away from knowing Kevin Bacon he is. A few years ago, a former professor of mine in Indiana actually had Pastor Rob Bell uh, come speak at the university. Rob Bell was actually did a book club, and is friends with Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey knows Kevin Bacon. No. My bacon number is four. No. I don't know Kevin Bacon. I don't know Rob Bell. I don't know Oprah Winfrey, although I wish I did because, you know, you're getting your student loans paid off. That would be a nice thing to hear. I don't know any of them. All I know is my former professor, Charles Allen. See, in order for us to tell others about Jesus, our Jesus number needs to be a one. But the problem is we live in a world where our Jesus number is a two or a three or a four or probably even greater than a seven. Because the only way we know Jesus is through the experience that other people have. I know I've I've talked to a few of you in here, but my wife is a horror movie buff. Any horror movie buffs in here? Man, it's a tough crowd. I didn't have anybody. She, She likes the movie. She likes the book. Until we started dating and got married, I hated horror movies. Never watched them. I mean, I watched a few as a kid to impress girlfriends when I was a teenager. But I didn't like horror movies. Just wasn't my thing. I like them now. We watch them, we analyze them, we mostly poke fun at them. But there's one thing from horror movies that I will never, ever get. The biggest fallacy in horror movies is darkness. You'll see a character walk into a building at night, which, first of all, why would you do that? Don't go to anywhere at night. It's creepy. You go to a church. You go to a hospital. You go to a school. Anything at night is creepy. It really is. I worked at a church that there was rumors of, of ghosts, and I hated being there at night. There were rooms that there was rumors that bad things had happened in one of the rooms. I would legit go into the church office, run down the hallway because I was so scared to be in that place <laughs> at night. I'm, I'm not kidding. I really would. And I was like in my 20s at that point in time. But darkness, it's that fallacy. Like, they go to a place at night and they walk in, and all they have available to them is either a lighter or a really terrible little flashlight, like one of the little teeny tiny ones. But what would happen if they would walk in? Boy, guys, it's dark in here. I'll get the lights, you know? Or what would happen if, you know what, let's go during the day. You know, we are not. need to go to the cemetery. All right, let's go at midnight. Well, no, what if we went like at 3 in the afternoon? You see what I mean? The problem is they, they it's darkness, it just makes horror movies unbelievable. And here's the reason: if they would go when there was light, there would be no dark. Because light dispels darkness. And evil is a little less scary in the light. First John 1 5 through 7 reads: This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is. Light In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. See, we'll know we have a relationship with Jesus if we're living in the light. Once the darkness is brought into the light, what is hidden in the shadows can no longer scare us. In the light, we find grace, forgiveness, repentance. We can get rid of that guilt and shame. See, we find new life and we find hope. Sometimes our world seems so hopeless because many like the darkness. Sometimes we like to wallow in our self-pity. We like to wallow in our circumstances. Sometimes it's easier just to let things be the way they are. Look at our our country, and our world. There are so many problems that we have that we could solve, but we refuse to do so because it's easier just to let things be the way they are. Hiding in the darkness means not having to expose those dark corners. It means not having to face up to the mistakes you've made, having to face up to broken relationships, or maybe addictions, or even the secret sins, or things that nobody knows about. But bringing these things into the light means we have to face the music. It means we have to be vulnerable. It means we have to admit that we've made mistakes. But the thing is, it also means that those things that we keep hidden in the darkness can no longer haunt us when we expose them to the light. First John 8, 1-10 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. We all have sins in our lives. We all have made mistakes. We've all messed up. But hopefully as we've grown in our faith, we've allowed the Holy Spirit to work in us. We've confessed these things and we'll find ourselves making fewer and fewer of these mistakes. But see, living in the dark and pretending the things aren't there doesn't help us deal with it. It just continues to haunt us from the darkness. Neither does pointing fingers. Many times people who are struggling will point their fingers at other people who are struggling to draw the attention away from their own secret sins. The only way to address the sin and darkness in our lives is to expose it to The light. To allow Jesus to come into the darkness and free us of everything that hides there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. On the way home from church, a little girl said to her mom, said, Mom, I've been thinking. The mother replied, Oh, what about? The girl replied, Well, my teacher this morning said God is bigger than we are. Is that true? Yes, that's true, the mother replied. Well, she also said that God lives within us. Is that true too? Again, the mother replied, well, yes. Well, said the little girl thinking, if God is bigger than us and God lives inside of us, wouldn't he show through? If we claim to be living in the light, if we claim that Jesus is living inside of us, that we're filled with his spirit, Jesus should be showing through. This morning, is Jesus showing through in your life? John writes, beginning in chapter 2, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. When we struggle, when we make mistakes, there is hope. Because Jesus died for us on the cross. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. He's the scapegoat. And through him, we can approach God. We talked last week about the veil being torn. When the veil was torn, Jesus made a way for us to approach God through him. And Jesus is the light that we and the world need. Sometimes it's difficult to find light in our world. Sometimes our world seems awfully dark. It's easy to let ourselves succumb to that darkness and let that darkness fill us and cause depression and anxiety and these different feelings in us because of the darkness we see around us. Again, this is your weekly reminder that it's okay to turn off Facebook and the news and to put down the newspaper and things. It's okay to unplug from things once in a while. But there's also a saying that says, if you can't find the light, be the light. In order for us to be that light, we have to let Jesus shine through us. We have to be filled with the light of Christ. We have to be willing to take that light into a dark world. Let us pray. To God, we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came and that he is our advocate. We thank you that we know through him that our sins are forgiven, that we can approach God. We also know that no matter what we do, that if we confess our sins to you, that you are willing to forgive us and that we can live anew. Just help us today to be the light of the world, to walk into a a dark world and to share your love, your grace, your forgiveness, your peace, to share all of these things with the world around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.